so chapter 23, uh, as we dig in here, uh, says, Now these be the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, said, And the man who was raised up on high, the anointed of God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel, and this is what he said, the spirit of the Lord spake by me. So the, the Holy Spirit inspiring him to speak, uh, speaking the words of God, and his word was in my tongue. And the God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spake unto me. So we see the Trinity working in his life, the spirit, the father, the rock being Jesus, uh, all speaking and ministering to him. Uh, he that ruleth over men, must be just. Uh, they, they can't be rulers, uh, good rulers, if they're not going to be just. And, and isn't that what we pray for in the world today, that we would have rulers that would be just, uh, ruling in the fear of God. And we've kind of lost that, especially in America, because uh, it's so close to us, so dear to our hearts. Uh, but we just see that, that men are not ruling in the fear of God. They're not being just. They're, they're running by mammon, uh, and the mammon is going to be their ruin unless they turn. So just a, an encouragement for us to continue to pray for those that are ruling over us, uh, to pray for them that are over us in, in city governments, uh, ruling over us as men, uh, even in the churches, that they would know their God. And isn't it sad that we have to have churches that don't even know Jesus as Lord and Savior? Uh, and pray for those pastors that are out there. Uh, pray for them to be just. Pray for them to know their Jesus. Pray for them to be true and to bring forth the word rightly. Uh, and he said, And he shall be as a light of the morning. Uh, and we know that one that's going to come that's going to rule over us in the fear of God is, of course, Jesus. He's going to be the ultimate one who rules and reigns in the millennium. Uh, and he shall be as the light of the morning when the sun riseth, even a morning without clouds, as the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after the rain. So after the storm comes, uh, after the, that tribulation period, as you, if you could look at it in that sense, uh, that, that he's going to come and rule and reign, and he's going to be a light that's going to be there uh, in just shining out through that, in that place where he would just be known for who he was, for who he is, and, and not for one that's uh, just come just to take over, but one who's come with the heart of a shepherd, with the heart of a king, with a heart that's going to be ruling justly and in the fear of God. And then David says this, this verse, uh, which we can all agree with, I think, as we come to that place knowing that we're saved, that we're walking in the truth of the, the word, that uh, my house be not so with God, yet he hath made with me an everlasting covenant. Isn't that interesting that God knows our hearts, knows our ways, know that, knows that we're not perfect, that we're just men. Uh, and, and he comes and he says, I have this everlasting covenant with you because of what Jesus has done uh, in no other way. It isn't because we've earned it. It isn't because we've come to a place of making ourselves good and making ourselves right before him. We can't. Uh, only his spirit working in and through us and the blood of Jesus on the cross can do that for us. There's no other way that we can get to heaven. No other way that we can come to an almighty, holy, righteous God, but through the blood of Christ and his spirit working in us. And he makes that covenant with us, and he's the one that's made it. It isn't us that have made that covenant with God. He's made that covenant with us. Uh, and we just come into agreement with it. Uh, and uh, he says he's ordered in all things, and he's sure. <laughs> and that's a sure covenant. And aren't you glad uh, we talk about having a hope of heaven, but it's a sure hope. And it's the same concept that's here. It's sure, it's real, it's going to come to pass, uh, and it's coming for us. And we have that, that hope that's a sure hope. We don't have a hope of I hope so. We have a hope of God is real, God is true, God is righteous, and he's going to make us come into that covenant with him as 
He comes to finish that work of salvation in our lives. And boy, what, what wonderful things to have. I, I know Wendy's uh, okay with Debbie's passing because she knows where Debbie is. She misses her, but boy, she, has, she knows that hope, and Debbie knew that hope. Uh, and what a difference between coming to a funeral when you know where they are and coming to a place where you have no clue where they might be. Only by the grace of God that they could get saved in those last moments. We don't know, but God knows, and he knows our hearts. But we want to be in that place where because of that covenant that God brings to us, that we respond to it, that we just don't have this covenant that we have with God so that we can do whatever we want to. That isn't a love relationship. That's just a relationship that says, I want everything out of this world and out, out of God. I want to get saved from hellfire. <laughs> That's not God's heart. His heart is that we would not just know him, but that we would know him well. We don't know about him. We want to know him intimately. And he's in David's there. I have this covenant and I have this hope of God. I've messed up. I've gone through this life. I've done things wrong, which we all do. But there's forgiveness with Jesus. But we don't want to abuse that. We don't want to use that for our own benefits here. We, we want to glorify him by our lives and through our lives. And that should draw us into a closer walk with him into a place where we would just want Jesus more than anything else in the world. And boy, when we have that, we realize more and more that we're in a place where we, we have this almighty God who loves us and he's ministering to us and he's taking care of us. And boy, that should be a place where we could come into response to him that says, Lord, I love you so much, I wanna do what you have for me. I don't want to do any more what I want. I want your will to be accomplished. And didn't Jesus say that when he was here with the woman at the well? When his disciples came and said, what do you mean you have meat that we know not of? He said, where'd you get it? He said, I always do the will of my father. And that should be our heart. Because if Jesus is gonna do that, then shouldn't that be our heart also? Lord, I want to do your will. But if you're not in the word, not in a relationship with the living God, then how do you know what God's will is for you? It, we find it by the word. We find it in prayer. We find it in a place of being uh, assembled together with other believers as, as we see and hear and as the truth comes out from the teaching and the preaching that we should be in a place then of responding to it. Not just hearing it, but then responding to it. And that's so sad when you, the word is given out and there's no response to the word that's spoken. And can you imagine Jesus? Here he is on earth, teaching, preaching, ministering to people, and yet so many had no response to him at all. And for us, it's discouraging, but it's not about us. <laughs> it's about who God is and what he wants to do in people's hearts and lives. And who knows when that response might come. For us, look at how long some of us waited before we got saved. And yet he was gracious and long-suffering with us. And that's how we need to be and with the folks in the world that we minister to, that we pray for. We don't grab them by the throat and go, don't you know how long I've been praying for you? Why don't you just get saved now and cut all this other stuff out? <laughs> God doesn't do that. And I'm thankful. I wish he had of sometimes and just grabbed me and just brought me to it. But he still couldn't have made me believe without my response being, Lord, your will be done in my life. Uh, so help me with it. Uh, my house may not be so with God, yet he's made with me. Notice the personal relationship with there, not with Israel, but with me, you've made this everlasting covenant. He knows that he knows that he knows the God that he serves. And that should be our heart. We can put our names in there and, and go through those things. And it's ordered in all things and it's sure. 
for this is all my salvation <laughs> and my desire, although he make it not to grow. Although it's not growing at the moment, it isn't God's fault. It's my fault that it's not growing. Even though these things should be taking place in, in my household, they're not going at the moment, but it's not God's fault. It's my fault. And it's the people who were responding to him. It's their fault. It isn't God's fault that this country isn't all saved. It's the people in the country. It's their hearts. And it's the people that are sitting in the pews every Sunday. Lord, I want your will to be accomplished, but I want you to wait to come and rapture the church because I want to get married first. Sorry, Patrick and Mary. But <laughs> if the rapture takes place tomorrow, you're going to be happier tomorrow than you would be if you waited until till Saturday to get married. <laughs> Uh, but look at what he says then in verses 6 and 7. But the sons of Belial, those, those sons of, of the enemy, shall be of all of them as thorns thrust away. Thorns in that place. And don't you know that it talks about in Scripture that, that the, they would be cut down and thrown into the fire and burned uh, because of unbelief, because of not trusting who God was. All of them shall be as thorns thrust away because they cannot be taken with hands. And these hands that we have are supposed to be used for service. The hands of the priest, where they would anoint the, the thumb and the ear and the toe of the right side because they were supposed to be used in a way, the ears for hearing, the feet for walking, and the hands for serving. And we don't want to touch those things that are evil. We don't want to touch those things that were wrong. Uh, they can't be taken away with hands because of the, uh, because just of the influence that are on those things. That's why we need to keep ourselves in a place that's sure and right. Not walking in the ways of the world, but walking in, in that way that would serve God in spite of the world. The world is always going to be the world. And they, they don't change because they don't know better. Because they don't have a heart in that place where they will want to until God touches their lives and they respond to that call, that invitation of Jesus to come into that place of walking with him in truth. But that should not stop us from being faithful and true and in that place where we would be right with him because of the blood of Jesus, because of the call of Jesus on our lives. We need to be faithful in spite of what the rest of the world is doing. The rest of the world can walk in unbelief, but that should not stop us from walking in that place of belief. We know who God is. We've accepted him as Lord and Savior. And so we want to be in that place then where we walk in the truth of that. Not in the ways of the world, but in the ways that God has prepared for us. And so he says they, they are going to be thrust away because they can't be taken with hands, but the man that shall touch them must be fenced with iron. That, that's how, how dangerous it is to touch the things of the world and to hold on to the things of the world. Because as you touch the things of the world, what's your natural reaction is that your hand goes around them and holds on to it. And there's a danger in that. that. That's why we always come to a place of be careful what you do with sin. When you see sin, don't grab a hold of it and grasp it and take it to yourself because there's a danger in that. And it's amazing. Well, I just want to experience the things of the world so I know what's right and wrong. You don't have to. <laughs> we already know in, in, in our spiritual sense what's wrong. What we want to do is we want to experience the things of this world and just get along with them so that we can also have then salvation of God. And you can't serve two masters. One is going to suffer, and it's usually our relationship with, with God. And so be careful of what you handle and what you touch and what you grab a hold of. They must be fenced with iron in the staff of the spear, just put away from us so that we wouldn't touch them, so that we wouldn't hold on to those things. And it says, and they shall be utterly burned with fire in the same place. And then he goes on from there. And these, these were the last words of David. These were the last words that, that he had spoken. Uh, 
Uh, he's gonna, we're going to see other things in, in chapter 24, uh, but uh, these were the things that he spoke to the people of Israel in his last days, and just wanting these things to be known by him and for him. But then he goes on and he says, these are the mighty men of David, and we aren't going to go through all the names because you know how I am with names. <laughs> uh, I can't pronounce half of them, and I butcher the rest of them. So, uh, but there's a few things that we need to see out of this. And it says, these be the names of the mighty men whom David had, the Tachmanite that sat in the seat, chief among the captains. This, this is the one that was overseeing all of them. The same was Adino. He was probably from the Italian section. Uh, and he was an Esnite, uh, but his name means ornament. Uh, he was an ornament in that place for the Lord. An ornament in that place that would just glorify the Lord. He sat in the seat chief among the captains. His name was Adino. He lift up his spear against 800 whom he slew at one time. Really? <laughs> I don't know about you, but the older I get... Holding something for a long time just doesn't work anymore. <laughs> but here he is in a place, a, a defender of Israel, which we should take to heart is, Lord, am I one who defends you? Am I one in that place that I know your defense of me and my defense for your gospel, for the truth of the word, that I'm not going to let the truth of the Lord, word be slandered in front of me? Am I going to hold on to those things? And no matter how long it takes, I'm going to hold on to that and protect and keep what you've given me. And he's in a place in Israel, and God has given him to be a soldier in Israel. But remember, in Timothy, it tells us that we're supposed to be good soldiers. And he held on to the spear, and he killed 800 of the enemy that were coming against him. Well, Lord, the odds aren't fair. But if God is for us, who can really be against us? And if God is with us, what can't we defeat? Mm. And just it, it's just an amazing thing. But as you look at this, it says that he lift up his spear. He lifted up. And we see another man back in Exodus that lift up his hands. And when he lifted up his hands, the enemy, the Amalekites, were defeated. And what was he doing when he was lifting up his hands? He was praying to the Lord for the Lord to have victory. So the first thing that we see about these mighty men is that they were prayers. And we need to take these things to heart and application for ourselves that, Lord, if these men would pray to you, why aren't we praying to you? Lord, are we lifting up to you? And the more we see it, the more we realize how much we need to be praying. Yes, Steve? Did that be that he was Oh, no, he was part of Israel probably, but, but just in a different section. But they, they, the tribes and, and the places are, are just spread all over Israel. Yeah. He wasn't really Italian, probably. <laughs> I better clarify that before this goes over the air. People start calling up, does that mean Italians are the only ones that can get saved? <laughs> if it is, we're all in trouble. Uh, <laughs> Gee, Carini, I wonder what that is. Okay, uh, all those vowels in there. Uh, so we, we need to have that place. But he had a, a different kind of battle that was going on then we're going to see with the others, because what did he have in his hand? He had a spear. And it's interesting, too, as you go back to Moses, the Lord asked Moses, what do you have in your hand? And he says, a staff. He says, then raise it up and use it for my glory. Well, what can I do with a staff? Staff is just a stick. Maybe I could hit somebody and smack him a little bit, but what am I going to do with a staff? And he goes, Moses, you'd be surprised what I can do with you and a staff if you're given over to me. Oh. And what do we hold in our hands? What are the things that we're holding on to? We're going to see that too. <laughs> That's what we want in our hands. But here we are in, in a place where a spear is a longer weapon than a sword, right? Than a knife, than a blade. In his battles, 
we're fighting not so close in, but a little more of a distance. He could use the, the spear to throw. He could use the spear to keep them at, at, at bay. And sometimes with the enemy that comes into us, we can use the spear that God has given us to keep the enemy at bay, to keep them a little further away instead of up close that we would need a sword. Sometimes those battles are going to be there. This man knew how to use his spear, the spear that God had given him. He, he used it. He practiced with it. He held on to it. And he upheld it and he gave it to the Lord. And the Lord used it mightily in his life. And Lord, what are the things that are coming at us that, that we can keep at bay? Maybe those television shows. Maybe some of the incidences that come around us that we can keep at bay rather than having them close. We could keep some people at a distance rather than keeping them close like our family. And we're going to see what happens when things get close with, with the next man that we look at. But there's going to be different weapons that we use for different battles. But we need to know how to use them. And we need to know what to do with them. And we need to know who's the enemy and who's not the enemy. But that's going to be the Spirit of God and his leading for us to show us this is the enemy. Some of our enemies are, are just outright right in our face. We know that they're the enemy. <laughs> and we need to know in that place. But that's going to be the Spirit of God ministering to us. That's why we need to be anointed of God and having God, God's Spirit dwell in us so that we can know as we look to him and as we ask him, Lord, what is it that's going on with this? And if you get a check about somebody in your spirit that says that they're a Christian and you get a check in your spirit about it, you don't have to say anything, but pray and ask the Lord, what is it about this relationship that you want me to be careful about? What is it that's going on? Do I have to keep them at bay with a spear? Do I have to keep my weapons ready? Because a good soldier is never going to go anywhere without his weapons. A good soldier knows what to do with his weapons. And sometimes those weapons are used just to take care of those that are at bay. But this man used it to defend his portion of Israel that God had given him against the enemy that had invaded the land. His home front his house but he defended it because he knew it was wrong isn't it strange that nobody else stood with him I mean come on where's the rest of them where's the rest of the body of Christ but he hasn't called the rest of the body of Christ to stand with him because otherwise this man would have never known the power that God can give somebody if we just rely on him and trust him. Sometimes you're going to be alone in your battles. Your husbands and your wives and your family and the rest of the church aren't going to be able to help you. You can call them for prayer, but if God isn't with you and you know his strength and his power, you're never going to defeat more of the enemy than, than you can see without somebody else near you. We need to know God in both ways, that the body of Christ fighting and also alone. Lord, when I'm alone, can I still defeat the enemy? But if you don't know it, you're going to be fearful and you're going to be scared. And you're going to, be, you're going to have trepidation as far as going forward. And if God calls you to do that, we need to be ready. But you're never going to be able to do it unless you know how powerful our God is to defeat the enemy around us. Oh. So here's Adino. He lift up his spear. 800 men he slew at one time. Wow. <clears throat> and after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo. I love this guy. <laughs> He's my kind of guy. Hey, Dodo, uh, the Ahohite, uh, one of the three mighty men with David, 
when they defied the Philistines that were gathered there together to battle and the men of Israel were gone away, he arose. So all the men of Israel had left, but this one man, the son of Dodo, Eleazar, and he's in that place. And it says in verse 10 that he arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand claved unto the sword. And the Lord wrought a great victory that day and the people returned after him only to spoil. Look at this man. He rises up. The rest of the people had left. He stands and he's a defender of the truth, but he holds onto a sword. That means it's a closer battle than it is with a spear. They're more closer, they're, they're more up close. This could be some of the issues of the heart that we battle with, the bitterness, the anger, the unforgiveness, the hurt that causes us just to hold on to it instead of letting God take care of it. Those are the things that get, that get closer to us, but look at what he's holding on to. He's cleaving, he, he's got his hand on this sword. And what do we hold that we call a sword? The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. We hold on to the Word and we hold it so close that our hands have to be peeled off of it to get it out of our hands. My oh, says froze to the sword. Fro <laughs> yeah, you do sometimes when you hold on to things for such a long time, you have a hard time letting it go because you're holding on to it so tight. But shouldn't we hold on to the Word of God that tight? that it wouldn't go anywhere without us being with it. Oh. So we've got men that are praying. We've got men that are holding on to the word of God. And shouldn't that be for us also? Not just carrying the spear, but carrying the sword of the spirit and holding his word so close to it that, that it would be written on the tables of our hearts that it would be in that place where we would know his word, that we would know how to handle his word. This man needed to know how to handle a sword. And we've got some people that are so dumb, probably me, <laughs> that, that we would grab the wrong end of the sword and start using it as a club. But the trouble is if you do that, you cut your hand to pieces. You need to know how to use the sword, how to hold it for defense, how to hold it in, in victory, how to hold it in, in a place where you can yield it against other swords, in a place where you can use it to kill the enemy that's before you. And sometimes the Lord calls us in those places that, that we need to get rid of that bitterness that we have, that anger, that hurt from things of past, that we have to get, get rid of it. And what's gonna get rid of it? The Word of God and your hands have to cleave onto it. The, the way that you serve is that you're holding onto the things of God and not holding onto the things of the world. You know how to wield the word. You know how to speak the word. You know how to, how to address it and how to use it for defense and how to use it in opposition against the enemy. We need to know how to do all those things, but it's the word that's gonna teach us. It's not us teaching ourselves to know how to do it. It's letting God teach us how to do it. And sometimes we, we use the word of God, but we use it to beat people up. <laughs> Instead of letting the Lord minister to us to teach the word in love to those that are around us. And boy, what a difference of getting beat up by the word of God Rather, rather than getting loved by the word of God. Uh, <clears throat> and so we've got this man, <clears throat> excuse me, who uh, has to know how to cleave onto the word of God, how to hold on to it. And then we go to verse 11. And after him was Shema, the son of Agi, the Hararite, um, and the Philistines were gathered together into a troop. Isn't it interesting, as we look at all these guys, what do they have in common? The enemy's all around them. <laughs> Guess what? Put your name in there. The enemy's all around you. Because we're walking in this world. And we need to be careful because sometimes the enemy may not appear to be what he is. 
because sometimes some of our, our greatest enemies are within the church and they're things that we hold on to more than we love the Lord. We can be in a place where we can love ministry more than we love the Lord. And we've got to be careful of that because that can become an enemy of God. Because if we're holding on to that, we'll do anything to keep our ministry rather than to keep the presence of God with us. We need to keep a light touch on everything that's here. Even those things that God gives us. If we use them the wrong way, if we don't know how to handle them, they'll become a hindrance to our relationship with the Lord rather than us walking in favor with God. But the enemy's all around them, and every single one of them is alone. I think the Lord wants to teach us that even if the rest of the world comes against us, we're still going to stand on who God is. And the world's coming against us. We see that the anger of the enemy. We see the viciousness of the enemy. Just listening the other night uh, to somebody who was talking about the things that happened with Hamas in Israel and the brutalness that they came across with. And the, what's the rest of the world saying? Ah, oh, let them alone. They're okay. But if you heard the stories of how they were cutting up babies, putting some in ovens, cutting people, abusing them, and there's still 136 people that are held hostage. Can you imagine their condition, their mental condition right now, if the ones that have come out are already seeking counseling because they just can't handle what they saw and what happened to them? That's what happens when the enemy gets a hold of us is it just drives us crazy. And it drives us to a point away from the things of the Lord rather than to the things of the Lord. Be very careful what we enter into. But it just shows the danger of what the enemy can do to people if he's allowed to do it. And you know why they're allowed to do it? Because the church isn't being what the church should be around the world. Israel is not a, a Christian nation. Israel is a secular nation, but God still loves them. And what is God gonna judge the rest of the nations for? How they treat Israel, it tells us in scripture. So how are we treating Israel? Are we praying for them? Look, half the churches in America, over half the churches in America, the reports just came out last year, more than half the churches in America want Israel out of the way because either they believe that that we as believers have replaced Israel as God's wife which isn't true read your Bibles or that they aren't just being what they're supposed to be so we need to get rid of Israel both ways are wrong we need to believe what the word says and hold on to it So here's this man, he's alone. He's defending what God has given him. Uh, and he slew the Philistines. He stood in the midst of it. He said, well, let me go back to verse 11. I didn't finish it. Here is this man, Shema. The Philistines were gathered together into a troop where it was a piece of ground full of lentils. And the people fled from the Philistines. Everybody else leaves. Shema says, I don't care what everybody else does. I'm standing. Hmm. And then you have to ask your heart because we need the application in here. What would you do if the enemy comes right before you and manifests himself to you? Are you going to run or are you going to stand? What does Ephesians 6 tell us when we put on the armor of God? What is the whole purpose of that so that we can stand? It doesn't say you have to fight. You just got to be able to stand. And you know what? There's some days I stand well. And there's other days my knees get weak, my loins get loosed, and I'm a mess. I'm done. I can't stand up against anything. One person can say one thing, and I'm just, I'm a mess. I'm, I'm shot. And other days the enemy can come and go, oh, yeah, get out of here. And I can stand there. 
but it's not my strength, it's his strength in me. And that's what we gotta remember. We don't work ourselves up to this. This is what the Lord does for us and to us. Can you imagine how many battles these men have fought before they can come to a place of being able to wield these weapons the way that they do and to take care of the enemy the way that they do? They know it's just a dependence on who God is in their lives and what he wants to do with them and through them. And that's what he wants to do for each and every one of us. So first we pray, we hold on to the word, and then we become faithful wherever God places us. And he may place you in awful circumstances, in an awful neighborhood, with awful neighbors, and an awful spouse, and an awful bunch of kids, in just awful everywhere that you are, but you know what? He has still called you to be faithful no matter what you're in. He hasn't called you to run. And what do we do? Oh, I'm pregnant. Oh, I'll just get rid of the baby. Oh, I got an awful husband. Oh, I'll just divorce him. <laughs> you can't do that. It's, it's against scripture. <laughs> we're in that place where we're supposed to be faithful with what God has called us to. And you can't be faithful unless you know how faithful he is. And that's a walk with our Lord that takes a time, that takes a, a season for us to get into. I know that my God is faithful. I know I can trust him. I know he answers my prayers. But that means you're praying and you're seeing God work. And it encourages you to pray more. I know that I can fight battles because my God is faithful, but that means you're in a battle that you know that he's already been faithful before and he's gonna be faithful to you again. Oh, that's God's work. Our work is to respond what he's doing with us. Lord, you're calling me to stand in this field of beans. I don't know about you, I might stand in a field with watermelon because it tastes good, but beans? I mean, beans, come on. Really, you're going to defend a field of beans? But that's where he called this man to stand. And he wasn't looking at what was in the field. He was looking at his God being his strength and that somebody wanted to get rid of the beans that God told him to defend. Oh, really? Yes. And, and we laugh and, and we giggle at it, but you know what? To him it was important because to God it was important. And he wanted to teach this man how to stand when nobody else was gonna be there. Look, at, it says they all fled, every single one of them. Well, if they all fled, I can flee. Wrong. They all fled because God moved them to flee so that you could stand alone. And you know what? If God says you can stand alone, guess what? You can stand alone. I don't need the, I, I gotta have the church around me. And, and what happens with those people? When trouble comes, who's the first one that they call? God? No. They get on the phone. You need to pray. Oh, well, why don't you pray? Well, I'm calling you to pray. <laughs> no, you pray first, then you call. But if he says, I need you to be alone in this, don't be upset with everybody else because they ran away. Be excited that God called you to stand at this time and that you're gonna be able to. Well, God, I don't know if I can. Well, it isn't up to us, it's up to him. Who are you trusting, you or him? Mm. Oh. So God calls us to pray. He calls us to hang on to the word. He calls us to be faithful. We see these three men. We see what they did for the Lord. But it took a season. It took a time. It took experience. But it took a walk with him to be able to do that. And if you didn't do it today, ask for his help. Ask for his forgiveness. And say, Lord, I know that you want me to. Help me to do it because I can't on my own. 
That's right. You can't. What does the enemy say? You're a rotten Christian. You can't do that. What are you, what are you calling yourself a Christian for? You got anger in your heart towards them. That guy just cut you off and you just glared at him. <laughs> what kind of Christian are you? Lord, forgive me and help me to do it then. Let me trust you for it. Let me not trust me to do it, but let me trust you that you're going to do it in me. Oh, oh boy. You guys are long-winded. I'm never going to get through this. Uh, so the Lord wrought a great... He stood in the midst of the ground, defended it, slew the Philistines, and the Lord wrought a great victory. Wait a second. Wasn't it him that did it? No. He knew who did it. It wasn't him. It was the Lord that got a great victory. Oh, don't give the credit to yourself or the pastor that you think is such a great man, you give the credit where credit is due, and we're never due credit, it's God. God, I never would have made it through this life unless you had done it. I never would have made it from the other side of the city to this side unless you had given me grace and mercy and driving to get me here. We don't do anything right, but he does all things well. <laughs> you trust him. <laughs> so prayer, clinging on to the word, being faithful in where we are, in standing in what God has given us. It says the Lord wrought a great victory in that. And then in verse 13, it says, Then the three of the thirty chief went down and came to David in the harvest uh, time into the cave of Adullam. And the troop of the Philistines pitched in the valley of Rephaim. And David was then in a hold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David longed and said, Oh, that one would give me a drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. He's, he's just crying out. He's just in that place where he wants to get refreshed in a place where he got refreshed by the Lord before. It wasn't the water so much that he was looking for. He was looking for the refreshment of, of that closeness that he had with the Lord, the closeness that the, he experienced in that place. And he says, oh, I, I wish I could have that right now. And don't you go to places like that sometimes? Lord, I, I, I wish I could remember what it was that you did in my life so that I could experience that again, so that I could know your closeness and your presence in this time of hurt and this time of pain. Lord, help me with that. Help me to know that. And he says it out loud. What's he doing for the other guys? He's teaching them a lesson. He's a teacher. He's not just the king of Israel. He's teaching them what a relationship with the Lord looks like. And this man right now is saying, I'm weak and I need refreshing. Because what does water do? It refreshes you. We get washed in the water of the word. We get cleansed from our sin. We get cleansed in that place where the word does that work. And we get refreshed in that and we stand strong. He says, oh, I need some of that right now. He's in a hold. <laughs> the enemy's right across the valley. And he says, oh man, they're big. <laughs> they got Goliaths in that army. There's a lot of them and there's few of us. But there's more with us than there is with our enemy, isn't there? Uh. So the three and the mighty, the three mighty men break through the host of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem. What happened to the, all the rest of the army? Only three guys did it. Did David get mad at the other guys because they didn't do it? No. Was God mad at the other guys because they didn't do it? No. He wanted these three guys to know that they could trust him to get them through, to get something to bless somebody else. Did you ever have to fight sometimes to get to a place so that you could bless somebody else? You had to fight through the bitterness, the hurt, just so that you could be a blessing? Did you have to fight through the physical pain, the emotional pain, just to get to a place where you could bless somebody else? Sometimes we have to fight through those things to be a blessing for others. But isn't that blessing worth it? It's more fun now for us to watch the kids open their Christmas presents 
than it is for us to open up Christmas presents. I mean, what do we get each other? Underwear and sacks. <laughs> I mean, how, how, how many presents can you open and go, boy, all right, another pair of sacks. It's just what I needed. I just really wanted this. But you, you see the excitement on the little ones. And you see the joy that's there. And it's more of a blessing for you sometimes to bless somebody else than it is to get blessed by somebody, isn't it? That's because we're starting to get the Lord's heart. Because he came and he gave of himself, just like you and I do when we do something for somebody else. We become that blessing just like he was a blessing for us. You're just getting God's heart. And it becomes more and more dear to you. And more and more, more and more refreshing to you. And you don't get mad at everybody else because they didn't get you a new Ferrari. They just got you another pair of socks. You don't get mad at them for it. You're blessed because you're able to do something for them. Yeah. <laughs> socks. Socks are a blessing right now. Come on. <laughs> And so the three mighty men broke through the host of the Philistines, drew water out of the well that was by the gate. They took it, they brought it to David. You know how far they went to get this water and to bring it back? 10 miles. 12 miles. They went 12 miles through the enemy camp to get a glass of water. What are you willing to do to bless somebody else? How much of a fight are you willing to do and how long are you willing to do it just to be a blessing to somebody else? Oh, Lord, I got a long way to go. <sighs> My heart is not like that. I want it, but I don't think I would break through a whole troop of the enemy just to get to a well 12 miles away just so I could bring back a glass of water for somebody else. I'd probably drink it on the way and go, oops, I had some water for you, but it's gone. <laughs> Too bad. I, I thought of you, but I didn't do it. Oh, they didn't drink it. They brought it to David because he had a longing in his heart. How willing are you if somebody says, I need something from the Lord? How long will you hold on to it and help them through it to get them to a place where they get refreshed because of what the Lord wants for them. Oh, Lord. Not long. I'm used to Burger King. If it takes more than five minutes to get my burger, you're in trouble. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you about it, too. <laughs> it was interesting. We went out with a bunch of folks from our Bible study group, <laughs> and we went to a restaurant. Uh, and one of us didn't get a meal till everybody else had already finished their meal. And it was just like, really? And I was so busy eating my own. <laughs> Did I say, do you want part of mine? No. <laughs> but it's amazing what the Lord can do in those times to give you the grace to be able to handle it and say it's okay. I don't need it right now. It'll be a blessing to me later. Mm. Lord, to have that heart all the time. Not just once in a while. Can you imagine if you had that heart all the time? Oh, we'd turn the world right side up. California and New York would no longer be liberal. We'd be better than Tennessee. <laughs> They'd have to move back. Okay, that's not going to happen. <laughs> I keep trying, but it's not going to happen. Uh, but, but here we are, these three men brought through, uh, the, and, and they gave it to David. And what did he do? He pours it out. I'm not worthy of all of this. Lord, your grace is so abundant. It's, it's so wonderful. I can't handle it. I'm not worthy of this. You are. And he's teaching them, what's right, what's wrong. He's teaching them, I can't take this to myself. It's for your glory, Lord. So he pours it out, what? As a sacrifice to the Lord. 
says, these men sacrifice themselves. I want to sacrifice to you, Lord. I can't drink this. And he pours it out as an offering to his Lord because his Lord was the only one that was worthy of this offering. Oh. And what do we do sometimes when we get blessed by others? We grab it to ourselves and we hold on to it instead of giving it out and thanking the Lord for it. I mean, when's the last time you got blessed and then you thank the Lord for it? And, and Steve, he doesn't even thank the Lord anymore for that pair of socks he got for Christmas. He just says another pair of socks and throws it behind him. <laughs> and, and, and where's the thankfulness? Oh, Lord, they sacrificed just to get me this, even though it's something that you never wanted. I got this. I got a field of beans and to thank him for it. Oh, Lord, because it was a sacrifice on somebody else's part that you gave me that. How do you think they felt that they were, you know, they thought they were doing something for their king, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And to see that, that makes me think like if I, if I did something for the <laughs> Lord, would the Lord disregard that sacrifice? I, I don't think he disregarded it, but he took it in the sense that he offered it to a higher place. Uh, and I think in that he's teaching these, these three mighty men, even though they were prayers, even though they were holding on to the word, even though they were faithful, they were learning different aspects of who the Lord was. Uh, and David, just in that place of just, I'm offering it to a higher place because I'm not deserving of it. Only God deserves this much. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to be too busy on my face before the throne. <laughs> I'm not going to remember this one. <laughs> or to thank him for the socks that I got. <laughs> Steve might, but hey. Uh, so he says, and, and he says, be, be it far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is, is not this the blood of men that went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he wouldn't drink it. Drink it. These things did the three mighty men. Mm. So David wouldn't take that glory mm. for offering their lives to David. But mm -hmm. he's like, no. It goes to the Lord. Your life to God. Yeah, yeah. In that sense of teaching again, yeah. That's good. That's good. Oh. Lord, how come I didn't get that one and she got it? <laughs> Not fair, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Mary. Can I have the one you're going to give to Patrick? <laughs> uh, so, 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 <laughs> so then it goes through the rest of these names, and, and we'll finish up quick here. These names that I can't pronounce anyway, but the next one in verse 18 is Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zeruiah, the chief among, was chief among three, and he lifted up a spear against 300 and slew them and had the name among the three, had the name but not the glory. And you know what? He was okay with it. And you know what's interesting though, as you look at this, Joab's name isn't listed except to say that Abishai got this mention not Joab. And Joab was David's mighty general. But I don't think Joab was saved. Oh, but Abishai, I think, was. Oh, and it was, you know what? It was okay with him. I slew 300 men. I deserve some glory. You know what? He wasn't named among the three mighty men. And you wonder. How did the Lord minister to his heart to make it okay with him that he didn't have a name among the big three, but he was okay with the name that he had? And are we going to be okay with the names that God is going to give us when we get to heaven? Remember, we're going to have new names that are written on white stones. Are we going to be okay with the names God gives us? Or are we going to want somebody else's stone? And we'll clobber them over the head to get their stone. <laughs> And to get their name. Not in heaven. <laughs> Here maybe, but not there. But we need to be okay in rejoicing for other people 
because they got something more than we did. And it's okay because God knows what's best for us and he knows what's right for us. We've got to trust him in the midst of it. And so he goes through the rest of these names, but go down to, uh, 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 oh, well, in, in verse 17, uh, just real quick, uh, we see that in the midst of this, uh, David pours it out as an offering to the Lord. So what's going on with David is now worship. So we get these four components of the things that should be in our lives. We, we've got prayer. We've got cleaving to the word. Uh, we, we've got faithfulness. And then we've got worship. Are we people of worship? Not just worship as singing in a church, but worship because we're praising God for who he is. And not always what we've got, but just because God is the only one that's worthy of all worship. Are we worshipers? Do our hearts go in that place of worshiping? Ugh. And then he goes on and, and lists all these men's names down in verse 34, just for time's sake here, because we know Marianne's got to get to a Bible study. No, no, I canceled Oh, we could go for another two days then. <laughs> okay, we got hours. Uh, uh, but in that place, we see this, this man's name. It says, Eliphat, the son of Abishai, the son of Meah, Chathite, uh, Eliam. And Eliam has this son, uh, Eliam is the son of Ahithophel. Remember Ahithophel? He's Bathsheba's grandfather. Eliam is her dad. You know what's sad about that? Is that David had relations with Bathsheba and caused them to sin. Ahithophel went and hanged himself because he couldn't get revenge on David. You think, oh, David, the pain that you caused, the consequences of sin in your life, David. And they were part of his mighty men. Go down to verse 39. Whose name do you see? Uriah the Hittite. Uriah was Bathsheba's husband. What did David do to him? He had him killed. These were part of his mighty men, but it just shows us how to touch sin, why to keep it at a spear's length, because if we don't, we can be just like David and kill the people that are mighty in our lives. We can kill the people that, that take care of us. We can kill the people that, that, that minister to us, that go to give us a drink of water and refresh us and strengthen us. We can come to a place because of sin and kill him. And if you think you can't, <laughs> you got to get before the Lord right now because every single one of us is capable of, of every sin that's known to man right now if we don't keep ourselves in the love of God and keep ourselves before God. We can do those things. And you know how quick it is because you're going to go out on the road and the first guy that cuts you off you're going to beep at them. You're going to stomp your foot and wish you had a torpedo in the front of your car so you could blow them up. You're going to want to do all those things. You go, Lord, that's my heart. And if I can do it with my mind, can I do it with action sometimes if I've given the right circumstances in the right place? And if I think nobody's looking, oh, Lord, help me. If you don't help me, I'm not going to be helped. There's no hope at all. But David says, I have a sure hope. And you and I have a sure hope. His name is Jesus. Hang on to him. Get close to him today. And just let him do that work in your life that he wants you to do. And you know what? The longer I walk with him, the more I see that he shows me areas in my heart that I still haven't given to him. I see anger and frustration towards something or somebody that I hadn't had before and he lets it come forth just so he can show me, so I can deal with it, so he can deal with it with me. But if I don't deal with it, 
guess what's still there? A corner of my heart that I still haven't given to him. And Kath doesn't want to see it. I don't want to see it. The world doesn't need to see it. But you know what? God knows it's there. And he's not mad at you because it's still there. He just wants you to, to help you to get rid of it. So let him deal with your hearts. So Father, just thank you for your word. What a precious gift you've given us, Lord. <laughs> it, it instructs us, it corrects us, it admonishes us, it does all those things that it needs to do. Uh, it can even strengthen us. And Father, that's what we want to have happen, is just for your word to go deep into those recesses of our hearts to just show us where we are with you, that we might glorify you by our lives, that we might bring others to Christ because of what you've done in our lives. But we can't do that if we're walking in the ways of the world, if we don't have our hearts clean, our hands clean, our walk clean, if we've been handling things besides the word of life, what sin have we been handling that we need to get rid of, Lord? Show us, please, that we might be faithful, that we might be people who pray, that we might be people who cleave to your word, that we might be people who worship. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.